Hello, I'm Sasha. Welcome to Q&A Thursday. On Wednesday, June 15th, members of the University of Toronto community gathered under the trees in Hart House Circle to memorialize the men and women who were killed Sunday at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. I was present as an attendant. My guest today was there as an officiant. He has been in service at U of T since 2004 as an ecumenical chaplain and has, for 11 years, been helping queer students of all religious backgrounds better understand and inhabit their faith and sexuality. His name is Reverend Ralph Carl Wischke. When I called Reverend Ralph Carl for comment early Wednesday morning, he told me that he was actually preparing to officiate the memorial later that day and asked if I could call him back. I told him that I would, but when I hung up the phone, it occurred to me that I should probably attend. The memorial was a tender, somber affair filled with varied calls for love in the face of hate and also resilience and pride in the face of political and social marginalization. When we spoke later that day, we began by talking about the mood after the service. Well, I think most people were quite grateful. Um, thought it was very moving. Um, I think some people thought it might have been a little uh, overly political at some points, but that was a minority voice. Most people were very happy with it and, and moved, and I think felt that it provided a good opportunity uh, for members of the university's communities to, to grieve and process the tragedy. So you used the word martyr in your opening remarks, and there's certainly a segment of the Christian population and the Muslim population that would take offense to that, to the use of that term. Uh, can you elaborate on what martyrdom means for you and for the LGBT community in this um, circumstance? Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I guess I just think that a martyr... Um, is someone who dies for their belief or their cause. And as you know, or you may know, in the Christian tradition, we speak of martyrs, uh, how does that go again? Martyrs in deed and will, martyrs in deed but not in will, martyrs in will but not in deed. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah. But people who, who accepted the fact that their uh, role that they've chosen might lead to martyrdom and went into it with open eyes. And then there are people who, and in the Christian tradition we think of the holy innocents, the children of, the male children of Bethlehem who were slaughtered, who didn't choose to be martyrs, so they were not martyrs in will, but they were martyrs indeed. They did die because of the Christian faith, in a sense, or because of the presence right. of Christ in the world, I guess. And then there are people who uh, would be willing to be martyrs, uh, but they don't actually die a violent death. So, you know, I think St. John, the consider one of these are people who live long lines of faith, but have a uh, faith that's great enough to to withstand martyrdom if it comes to that, or 
So, so I think that the people who died at the Pulse nightclub uh, just wanted to have a good time in a safe space um, and to live their lives as queer people. So they they didn't, you know, choose uh, to be you know witnesses. I mean, another translation for the word martyr is witness. So they didn't choose that night to be witnesses for the queer movement or queer rights or queer justice or queer love. But now they've become that. They've become in death. They have become witnesses to the movement for acceptance for queer people and our right to live our lives and and then to have our lives and so on, have yeah. our relationships. So, so I think it's a fair observation to say that they they didn't choose to be martyrs, but that is, in fact, what's happened. This is not the first time a um, hate crime has been perpetrated against the LGBT community. It's not the first mass shooting in the States. It's not the first incident of violence uh, to be linked in some way, you know, real or imagined, to um, Islamic radicalism. But it is the first that I could think of uh, that combines these three things. And you, you mentioned it, you know, when we first started talking, that some people had said that there was... Maybe some of the comments uh, were a little bit overly politicized. Um, as a chaplain, as a, a gay man, and as a Christian, do you have any thoughts on how we can sort of look at these events and decouple them so that we could kind of make sense? Because I know for myself, I'm I'm str- I'm I'm struggling to kind of think of how I can actually, like, I'm, I'm struggling to even internalize what's happened because there's so many competing, so many narratives, so many things just intersecting in, at once. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess I don't think in this event that it's that complicated, uh, even though, you know, the politicians and the media may make a big deal of the fact that the perpetrator uh, was a Muslim, but this isn't, as, as the Muslim chaplain pointed out uh, in his address this morning, you know, this is not uh, in any way an example of what it means to live the Muslim faith in a way that uh, is healthy and life-giving and the way he believes the teachings of Islam um, would lead one to live their life. So I think we just have to say this was this was a man who was mentally ill. Uh, it could have been a Christian fundamentalist. It could have been a Jewish fundamentalist. It could have been, you know, a person of any uh, religious or non-religious view who happened to have uh, uh, enough of a internalized and externalized homophobia that it made him do a crazy thing. This is was lunacy. This was craziness. Um, it's not uh, the act of a of a of a rationally thinking person. So um, it's just fueled by yeah, this, this irrational hatred that you know grew in his heart somewhere. And I think it just happens to be that he was Muslim, but uh, that 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 was a coincidence in some ways. For the church that is called to love, but has spent so much time ostracizing the LGBT community, what advice do you have? Does the church even have uh, a place in this? Sure. I mean, I think 
it's a really important to distinguish between churches and churches. There are all there's a whole range of religious, including Christian, attitudes to LGBTQ realities. There are many reconciling and affirming churches that have done all their work, and you know, a young person can grow up and come out in their congregation, as has happened in my own congregation, where everyone's delighted. There's there's no hesitancy in celebrating that young queer person's coming of age than anyone else's coming of age, parents and congregation alike. So there's lots of places where religious people have done the work and are totally uh, in the right place as far as allyship goes. Uh, there are other places where the struggle continues. The Anglican Communion globally is you know, torn up over this. And then there are other places where the work is still not really begun in the sense that those religious institutions, Christian churches, are stonewalling or actively uh, opposing uh, a gracious understanding of queer lives. Um, so there's there's a whole spectrum of things there, but I think that um, uh, when we speak of religious attitudes or Christian attitudes to queer realities, we need to make distinctions between those subtle differences. We can't paint everyone with the same brush. Um, and as far as you know, my involvement goes, I guess I, I, I believe that the force of religion and the presence of religion in, in the world and civilizations and people's lives is not going to end. Uh, some you know, uh, more activist atheists would say when we see the backside of religion, it can't be too soon, it'll be good riddance, but I don't think that's going to happen. So given that, that there are going to continue to be millions if not billions of religious people in the world, I will give all my breath and life to creating, life-giving, justice-doing forms of Christian religion and faith. So, uh, <laughs> choosing to have good religion. Reverend, what are you praying for today? Um, well, I, I guess I pray for many things. I would pray for the spirits and souls of the people who've been killed in Orlando, that they may rest in peace. Praying for their families, that they may find healing over time as they grieve. I mean, the tragic reality is that there'll be spin-offs for decades to come in the lives uh, of those who've lost loved ones. They themselves, you know, may never recover. Uh, some people will, some people won't. Uh, so pray for those families. And certainly uh, pray for uh, renewal of the uh, work of justice, solidarity, uh, rooting out racism, sexism, homophobia, heterosexism, whenever and wherever we find it. And to pray for love and celebration, because we need that. We need to um, respond to this hate with our own lives that are filled with love at the intimate and uh, social level. Um, you know, for many in the Christian and the LGBT community, faith and homosexuality are, are mutually exclusive. Um, but you sit in that intersection. Can you tell me a little bit about about your life, about occupying that space and speaking to uh, those on either side of you that think that might have a hard time understanding how you keep the worldview that you do? Hmm. Well, sure. I uh, grew up and had you know very formative uh, religious mentors in my adolescence who became role models for me. 
uh, at the same time as my sexuality was coming into my awareness. So my faith formation, my awareness of my sexual orientation were all occurring at the same time with good people around me or people who were not destructive or harmful uh, to me uh, in any way with respect to, say, my, my hidden sexual orientation and sexual identity. So as an adult, I think what's happened for me is that I, I am a very self-aware and happy gay person, but my way of being gay is a religious way of being gay. And at the same time, uh, I'm a very religious person, but my way of being um, a, uh, a, a religious person is a gay way of being religious. Mm. Um, did I say both of those? <laughs> so I feel that I, my, my way of being a gay person is a religious way of being gay, and my way of being a religious person is a gay way of being religious. Yeah. So I hold the two together um, in a very intertwined fashion. Can you expand on that a little bit? Okay. Um, let's see. When, when I imagine myself as a as a, as a gay person, um, so much of my life involves uh, you know religious expression, religious arts, hymnody, religious texts, studying scripture. Um, so I'm a gay person, but I do all these very religious things, and that's how I under, come to understand myself as a as a gay person. Um, but as a religious person, I practice some of these uh, arts, you know, liturgical arts. I mean, you saw me this morning officiating at a service. Um, now, that's not a uniquely gay thing, but I think my way of, of being in the religious space, I bring, if you will, uh, a gay affect, uh, a, a gay sensibility to things, um, my sense for shaping ritual, my sensitivity in a pastoral setting. I mean, it's not as though, you know, I'm the, it's not as though only gay people have these skills, but I think that for me, these skills and gifts that I bring to my religious life and vocation are in some way deeply connected to my sexual orientation and gay identity. There's, in, in recent days, there's been, in recent days, I say, in recent months, uh, there've been, there's been, there's been a lot of tragedy, right? Fort Mac, Orlando, the suicides out in Cross Lake, suicide in in um, Woodstock, Ontario. For me, sitting where I do in in you know a, a newsroom, it's just you know vigil after vigil and tragedy after tragedy, and it, it's at a point where it's it's it gets harder and harder to watch. It gets harder and harder to report on. Um, for yourself, uh, I'm sure in your role as a chaplain. You're, interact, you're interacting and intersecting with these things as well. Uh, how do you encourage yourself in, in times like these? Um, well, I guess I have a, personally, I mean, I have a fairly stoic approach to Christian faith. Uh, I have a deep sense of God's unending love and compassion for the world, me included. Um, and I also take, I guess, uh, the long view of history. I mean, um, I, used, I used the word massacre this morning because we do refer to the Tiananmen Square Massacre, the Montreal Massacre, and now I think we will begin to refer to the Orlando Massacre, at least I will. Um, you know, history is just replete with these events of innocent people 
being slaughtered because of their identity, faith, or political beliefs. And unfortunately, we probably haven't seen the last of them. So I guess I take a kind of a realistic view of it, but I mean, it doesn't mean I don't think that we shouldn't fight to root out the causes of this kind of hatred, this kind of intolerance. Uh, but at the same time, um, these tragedies, you know, have occurred throughout history. Um, and uh, ethically, I'm not sure if we've advanced that much. Maybe we have. I mean, I think one could make, might make the case that there are actually, you know, fewer deaths from causes like, from events like this in the present day than there have been in the past. But, you know, that's maybe a bit of a stretch too. I mean, we had Rwanda, you know, we had Kampuchea, we've had, you know, mass murders in, in, in Latin America, uh, in Mexico, uh, not so long ago. So whether it's actually getting less or not, is, is hard to say, but I would like to believe that it is a little bit. Um, on another note, I guess I think um, in some ways we are in a position here in North America and where we have the time and the privilege and the opportunity to actually have these memorials, take this time to process our grief and to, you know, remember the people who've died. I think of the thousands of people who've already drowned crossing um, terrible little boats that sank in the Mediterranean Sea um, and no one held a memorial for them. You know, they've, they've drowned or died almost nameless, almost unremembered. Uh, so that actually gives me more cause to pause than, than anything else. That, you know, here we identify with these people, we organize, we do a memorial and honor our people to the best of our ability in death. But who honors those people? Well, Reverend Ralph Carl, I appreciate all the time that you've spent talking to me. The first the first time we talked, I don't even know how long we, we talked, but I have copious amounts of notes, and that tells me that it was a while, and uh, you've made a lot of time for me today, so thank you very much. Um, and just uh, for what it's worth, you've given me, um, you've given me a lot to think about um, as a person and as a Christian. It's It's been uh, very helpful for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again. Okay, thanks, Sasha. God bless. That was Reverend Ralph Carl Wuschke, ecumenical chaplain at the University of Toronto and member of the Campus Chaplains Association with his thoughts on the Pulse Massacre. We reached him by phone in Toronto. If you have any thoughts, you can reach me on Twitter at Sasha in Context or leave a comment below. I am Sasha. This has been Q&A Thursday. Thank you for listening.